We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway. Welcome to Cash Considerations, Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. Jason Pat's on vacation this week, so I'm joined by Zach Lee, host of Chicago Shuffle, the Bears podcast on the Blue Iron Network. I've been helping Zach out with that podcast throughout the season. He's been nice enough to jump on this podcast to help me out. And Zach, it seems like every time we talk about it, it's just another bummer Chicago sports conversation. If it's not the Bears normally letting us down before this three-game winning streak, uh, now it's the Bulls, 8-16 and 16 on the season. They're four games out of the number eight seed, which currently belongs to the Magic, who are 11-11. and 11. Uh, The Bulls are in 11th place in the East right now. That's not where we thought they would be, uh, you know, a quarter of the way through the season coming into the year when the Bulls were publicly talking about their playoff aspirations. Instead, the Bulls, once again, one of the worst teams in the NBA, and I think that this week just hammered that home. The Bulls did actually win back-to-back games for the first time all season this week. They hung out to beat the Sacramento Kings on Monday in a game the Bulls tried to piss away at every single opportunity. The Bulls had a 19-point lead, I believe, at one point in that game. Uh, The Kings got it down to two. It really seemed like Sacramento was going to win that game, and Uh, They just failed to execute late. The Bulls were able to hang on in what was mostly a comedy of errors. So they got that win. They beat a Grizzlies team without John Morant, without Brandon Clark two nights later. But then, you know, just when you get some positive momentum going, the Bulls bring us back down to earth. Uh, They lose to the Warriors for the second time in nine days on Friday night. The Warriors have five wins on the season. Two of them are against the Bulls. Absolutely inexplicable loss to a Warriors team that is basically made up of 75% G League players at this point. And then the game that I just watched, Sunday, Bulls lose to the Heat uh, in a game that they had every chance to win. The Bulls were leading the majority of the game. They led by five with five minutes left. Miami just felt like they were hanging around waiting for the Bulls to fail to execute in crunch time the way the Bulls have been doing all season. Tyler Hero was the star for the Heat. The Bulls put a tremendous amount of defensive attention on Jimmy Butler. He was able to kick out, find Tyler Hero for four or five big three-pointers towards the end of that game. So another totally dispiriting loss for the Bulls. 
and you know, to me, we came into the season thinking that this team was going to show tangible progress. That they signed some actual veterans and professionals to complement their young core. Uh, and to take this team out of an area where they were one of the worst in the league for the two years uh, that have followed the Jimmy Butler trade, well, now it's three years in a row. This is the third loss season for the Bulls. Yeah, there's still plenty of time left in the season, but uh, what I have seen this week only reinforced what I have seen all year, which is that the Bulls are just a trash team. They have bad coaching. They have no star player. They have horrible crunch time execution. I haven't really seen anyone on this team develop from where they were a year ago and get better in any tangible way uh just just a bummer of a year so zach i thought that we could sort of hit some big picture topics uh this year and i guess you know where are you at right now as a bulls fan where were your expectations coming into the year and sort of how are you processing what is again looking to be another totally lost season um yeah. Well, first of all, Ricky, thanks for having me on. And let me just take this moment to uh, trash Jason for taking a vacation because he's a slacker. How dare you? Um, yeah, I just it's not OK. And, you know, the listeners need him. And so I'm here to pick up the slack for him as per usual. Uh, how do I feel about the Bulls? I kind of I don't know, man, I'm kind of used to this. Like, I, I would say that I came into the season with very different expectations from the, the previous two where I thought things would be fun. Uh, insofar as I didn't expect necessarily a ton of wins, but there was so much um, talent on the squad and the mix seemed so right that that they should be in every game. You know, that there might be nights when they're out-talented and out-star-powered, but this would be a plucky young team that would fight for wins and, um, you know, it would be a learning season. And, you know, best-case scenario, you're looking at an eight seed in, in a, you know, a terrible uh, Eastern Conference. I will say the Eastern Conference is a little better than all of us thought it was going to be going into the season, but nevertheless, still trash. And the Bulls are at the bottom of it. So I very quickly transitioned into acceptance. There was no grief. I, that's just not part of my Bulls experience at this point. You have to love and really be attached to something in order to grieve something's loss. I'm not there. I'm just kind of accepting that this isn't it. And I have some ideas as to why that is. I don't think and sometimes I have a hard time with this, Ricky. You'll have to like talk me out of it. I have a hard time with the blow it up, everything's trash, everything's awful kind of take because this is a nuanced thing. It's only a few players on the court and on the roster. My thinking is what are like the changes that, that can make dramatic effect on this team versus, you know, more shuffling of the chairs on the Titanic? Yeah, well, of course, I'm the king of the blow it up, everyone's trash, fire everyone take. I've been saying that for a long time. You have. And it's only because there's no accountability coming from ownership. Like, this is John Paxson's 17th season as the lead decision maker of the Chicago Bulls. Nobody in professional sports that gets that type of leash. So, uh, to me, he blew a gigantic opportunity when he had Jimmy Butler coming into his own as a star player. Uh, they knew they had to retool the roster. They had a lot of cap space. What do they do? They give Dwayne Wade a golden parachute contract for literally no reason with a team option on the second end. They sign Ray John Rondo. That team, despite making the playoffs, winning the first two games against the Celtics, uh, that team was a disaster. And I really think that the position the Bulls are in today comes back to their inability to build around Butler during that season. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, there were all these easy moves on the board, but at a certain point, you need to have some confidence in your own ability 
to identify good players, to develop them. They had a good one in Spencer Dinwiddie on the roster. They had him in training camp. They had him in the preseason. They cut him from Michael Carter Williams and Isaiah Cannon that year. Uh, they, you know, all right. I, 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 I don't let me stop you really, but I, my, the thinking for me is like some of this is a bit revisionist. Like I didn't know Spencer Dinwiddie was any good. I don't. I'm not sure anybody did. He was sitting around for anybody to have. Sure enough, he's put the work and he's developed, and it looks terrible. Jimmy, it was like, hey, there's a supermax sitting there. I don't think Jimmy should get paid the Supermax. I didn't realize he was going to have this continuity. And the Bulls had like kind of a bereft roster, so they're stuck in purgatory. And he wanted out, man. Like, Jimmy didn't. I know that he, he didn't comes, ask for a trade. Dude, he comes back into town now. Chicago's my home. Chicago's this. Chicago's that. Jimmy went Hollywood. And I'm not saying that, that, that the Bulls don't have their blame for that. If they'd had a better roster around him and had a better plan, maybe he doesn't go that direction. But I think he wanted to spread his wings. And the Bulls organization doesn't do things that way, right? They do it. We're going to bring guys into our building. We're going to control them. We're going to bring up young guys. And I think that's why they like to draft and develop because it's young guys who are just happy to be in the league versus any kind of rising star power that feels uh, just like they're bumping their head on the ceiling as soon as, you know, they, they achieve something in the league. So I do agree that, you know, a lot of these are the same arguments we've been having for a few years. But here's the fact of the matter, dude. They probably don't have a player on the roster right now who's a top 75 player in the NBA. So you can go back and criticize, you know, every decision that le- that led to this. Because as of right now, they don't have a top 75 player, in my opinion. And they don't really have an easy avenue to acquire one. Now, I do think Wendell Carter will, of course, you know, grow into that level of player. He's taken a big step up at only 20 years old in the second season. But there's only so much a center who's being used the way he's being used is going to be able to do to impact a game. At the end of the day, you just don't have a roster talented enough to win games at a high level. And, you know, we're going to be stuck in a in a cycle with the Bulls where I feel like they're going to be bad for a while. Like, I don't really see a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. And it's because they were the guys they identified to be the faces of the next era of the franchise post-Butler uh, just haven't been as good as they were expecting. I, I want to ask you your thoughts on sort of the levine Markinen pairing, uh, if that's okay, because, you know, those are the two guys who are going to be sort of the face of the franchise, I think, uh, coming out of the Butler era. When the Bulls said they wanted to make the playoffs uh, media day this year, it was because Markinen and Levine were both going to take big steps up. Levine yep. had a ton of all-star hype before the year, the game in Chicago. Levine talked about wanting to make it. Uh, he obviously set that as a goal and was incredibly eager to come out and make a statement for him as an all-star. Markinen entering his third year, he has the opportunity to sign a contract extension after this season. So he's playing for some money. If he would have had a huge year, we're probably talking about him as a max-level extension guy just because mm-hmm. of his pedigree and because of all the hopes the Bulls had on placed on his shoulders coming into this year so now my question the bulls are eight and 16 again this is uh you know the third straight season with marketing and levine that doesn't look like it's going anywhere it's hard to criticize him for the first one when marcus marketing's a rookie and levine was coming off the acl but mm-hmm. uh you know at this point do you really think it's a tenable plan to be counting on levine and marketing to be the team that's going to, you know, to be the guys that are going to lead the next great Bulls team? No, unequivocally no. And I think one thing that we're not adding to this conversation that I think is pertinent is that Otto Porter Jr. is out, you know, for the foreseeable future with a foot that might just die and have to be hacked off. It's a big bummer, and it's a reason the Bulls are struggling so much right now. Yeah, like that's part of the veteran mix they needed to balance out the inexperience and the 
uh, inconsistency of a Levine and a Markkinen. But to answer your question and to kind of jump ahead a little bit to what I think needs to happen, the Bulls need to be shopping Zach Levine every single day, quietly, as quietly as they can, but they need to be canvassing the league to see what they can get back for him because Zach Levine, uh, talented as he is, is so miscast in his role right now uh, and ultimately hurts the team's chances to win. And, and I just... You know, there's a lot of statistics you could pull up, but one that keeps impacting me is if you go to NBA's advanced stats and to clutch statistics, crunch time stats, Levine is shooting 37% in crunch time. And he by far, by far has the, be- the biggest usage rate on the team. That's kind of it. It's just that he takes bad shots. It's just that he makes bad decisions. And if you don't have an alpha on the floor, if you don't have a creator on the floor that can tell him where to be to get him uh, his pet shots in the right place where he's not dribbling the ball 19 times in order to get a terrible shot off, I'm sorry, you're going to lose just about every game you're into. And so Markkinen's had a bad year. Uh, It's been a, a strong regression. It's sort of inexplicable. But Zach Levine is who he's always been, which is... Uh, a more talented, you know, a slightly more talented and skilled Zach Levine. And he just doesn't have, look, uh, let me just say this. Everything that I hear about Zach Levine is that he's a thoughtful, kind person who wants to be great and wants to put the work in. I don't doubt any of those things. I really think he is an introspective guy. It's merely him on the floor. He just lacks floor vision and decision make, uh, floor vision and decision making. And that's kind of basketball. It, you know, you can dunk as hard as anybody in the world and you can shoot three pointers from half court. But if you can't make sound decisions at the right time, what are we even talking about? I want to say that I truly believe at this point that Levine and Markkinen make each other worse when they're on the court because their games don't complement each other at all. First of all, you can start in the defensive end. I think there were a lot of hope amongst Bulls fans that Markkinen could become, you know, an average, maybe a teensy bit above average defensive player just for his position. He's definitely below average. So that is tough immediately when you have a seven-footer who's a below-average defensive player in the front court. Teams are always going to be targeting him on pick and rolls. Teams are always going to be trying to take advantage of him in the post with a stronger player. You combine that with Levine, who's one of the weakest perimeter defenders in the NBA, and just the defense alone is enough to compromise you. Now on the offensive end, uh, you're in a spot where Levine is just not good on the ball as a crunch time decision maker. You mentioned the problems he's been having all season. It was really reflected this week. In that Warriors game on Friday night, he went 0 for 5 from the field in the fourth quarter. Yo, uh, killing took, me. Killing me with those shots. Took a killing bad me. shot at the end of the game when they could have won. Uh, he went for the win with the three. It wasn't a good look. He basically denied the screen because he didn't want Draymond to switch on to him. Uh, he never really did anything to like create any... Uh, any real scoring chance in that situation. So that was terrible. He did it again against the Heat. He had some bad shot selection towards the end of the game. Uh, Markkinen can't pass, right? Like Markkinen's averaging, I think, under two assists per game, basically for his entire career. Uh, Markkinen is someone who 70% of his baskets come off assists. So he's someone who very much needs someone to set him up. Zach Levine is not the guy to set you up. Levine should be, in my opinion, modeling his game after Clay Thompson. And that would mean using his speed and his shooting ability strictly off the ball. Now, instead of being able to do that, Levine falls into sort of like the James Harden role for the Bulls, 
because they have no one else to run pick and roll and no one else to run isolations. Levine's the best on the team at doing those things, so he falls into that role. But in reality, that's not the role you should ever have. If someone was really trying to unlock unlock the best of Zach Levine, you'd be running him around a maze of screens. You'd be you'd be using him as uh, off leak outs off defensive stops where you could try to, you know, get the go-ahead pass and get something up early in the shot clock using his speed to put pressure on the basket. So Levine just was never going to be cut out for this, like, high-level decision-maker offensive initiator role that, you know, we saw Jimmy Butler do that for the Miami Heat tonight in this game. Butler drew so much defensive attention in late-game situations. He's been terrific uh, in crunch time for the Heat all year. Levine just isn't the type of player who's going to consistently make smart decisions when he has to, like, read the floor and process stuff. So because of that, that's the type of guy Markinen needs, too. So Yeah, uh, we're, we're talking around the real issue, which is the Bulls have no alpha creator, and it's killing this team. Everything else would slot in in a much, much better way. Look, dude, uh, the answer is really simple to me. The Bulls need Chris Paul to develop to like develop this roster. I really think and you know, they can't make the salaries match. It's you know, Chris Paul makes 11 billion dollars for the next 3 years unless we can talk Sam Presti into taking Otto Porter and not asking for any assets back. Honestly, just having a guy who's that much of an asshole that is that much of an alpha to tell guys this is where you need to be and this is when you need to take this shot and don't ask me twice about it. I really think like I I see them on the floor. There's passive shots here there's fuck it i'm gonna get mine there it's there's no continuity and i think everybody's looking to one another to see who's gonna be the leader zach levine's a good dude he's just not a leader and if i'm to look at anybody on this roster you have to say it's wendell carter jr who's incredibly introspective really thoughtful seems solid on the floor but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about an alpha creator a ball handler a guy that can tell guys where to be on the offensive end of the floor and make sure that things are held down when it gets to crunch time that's why they have these meltdowns every time it's just there's just nobody that can handle that pressure when the game gets tight it should be uh Sadoransky, but as a, we found out now that's just not in his skill set he's just too passive of a player yeah, I feel like Levine looks at a problem when he brings the ball up the floor, and he has literally no idea how to beat it. He's just guessing. And the way he goes about guessing is relying on his really tough shot-making ability. Uh, Markkinen's never shown an ability to like run a high pick-and-roll, which you have to do if you're going to be a focal point of the at, of offense at the NBA level. Uh, he's just never had that type of skill set. I mean, he's a seven-footer. He's mostly a catch-and-shoot guy. I think Markkinen could still be a really good player if he was playing with someone like Luka Doncic, someone like James Harden, a role where he wouldn't be counted on to carry the offense. You would have another high usage guy who's creating most of the opportunities, and he's someone who is just, you know, back cutting or uh, hitting a catch and shoot. But the Bulls don't have that guy. Levine certainly isn't that guy. Uh, and he has to fall into that role because, as you said, Sadoransky's not good enough to do it, he's not aggressive enough. Kobe White, still only a rookie, 19 years old. I think, you know, the Bulls internally will probably hope Kobe can develop into that guy, but it's not going to happen. And I like your solution of bringing in CP3 because I do think someone like CP3 would help the team immensely, especially this year, especially if they want to accomplish the the goal of their dreams and be the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. But <laughs> The bar's so low, uh, bro. It sucks. At the end of the day, man, it's like that's just a Band-Aid because CP3 is about to turn 35. Uh 
there's just no long-term solution on this roster right now to be your primary shot creator. And what I've seen this year is that Zach isn't up for that role. That does not mean that Zach isn't a talented player or that Zach couldn't even be a winning player in other situations. But it's not happening right now for this team. And it's not going to happen next to Markinen either, I don't think. The analogy I keep thinking of, and I think of dumb analogies all the time, you and I talk about, you know, any anything I've ever written, anything I ever say, it's like, here's a random thing I just pulled out of my ass, so let me do that once more. If you had a pizza place, and the pizza maker died, or was traded away, and you made the delivery guy make the pizzas just because you had nobody else to do it, that's not the driver's fault. And that's how I feel about Zach Levine, which is, he's doing things he should never, ever have been enabled to do. And I bet you he would, you know, get really pissed that I said that because he envisions himself as an all-star, as an alpha, as a, a number one on a team. I'm sorry, he's not. He's not, and he's not particularly close to it. So if he's if he operates under that delusion, delusion's a little mean, but I can't think of a better word at the moment, and he thinks that's the right way to play, then you've effectively – it's like a Dion Waiters kind of situation. Like – it takes a certain level of confidence and self-belief uh, to get in the league in the first place and then to succeed in it. So I would understand like that's a mindset you would just have to live with. I'm sorry, you have to objectively look at it from a wide view and just say, you're not the guy, man. And for me, I think the Bulls are in the business right now of ruining the trade value of every one of their assets because they don't have someone who can um, effectively run the offense. And I, I keep thinking of like, the Rajon Rondo two games in the playoffs, you know, a, a few years ago, where all of a sudden he was able to make Bobby Portis effective. And, you know, he was able to make guys that, you know, for the rest of their Bulls careers had gotten up shots one night and not another. Rondo was pulling the string. Playoff Rondo was pulling the strings. And, oh, my God, he was dragging the Bulls to wins. And so, obviously, he's super happy on the, the happy-go-lucky Lakers right now. But that's another kind of guy that, I think the Bulls desperately need, and there aren't actually, I know we're in this positionless NBA where half of the point guards, you know, shoot more than they pass, but I do think when it comes to perceiving players on your roster, whatever the position is, like, think of like a Doncic, you know, like that's a small forward, but he's effectively the, the tip of the spear. There is no tip of the spear. It's just a bunch of crap we throw against the wall night by night, and that's why the Bulls are where they are. There's just no focal point. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves by saying stuff like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, I'm sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it tonight. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication for you. It's simple, it's safe, it's totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward. It's secretive. It's simple. There's no embarrassment. 
Getting started is also really easy. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire, complete your online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but that's not a problem anymore because of Roman. Complete your online visit today, connect with a doctor, and get it taken care of. Just go to getroman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash bluewire for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash bluewire. Yeah, it's like the point guard position has changed so much from D. Rose's heyday just over the course of this decade in the NBA. Before you really needed the point guard to like get you into your offensive flow, now the league is almost exclusively high pick and roll with your best scorer, your best ball handler, your best playmaker, that being your star, having the ball in his hands and being at the controls of the offense. You know who's leading the league in assists this year in the NBA? LeBron James. You know who's number two? Luka Doncic. You look at number four, Ben Simmons. It's not these traditional point guards anymore. Everyone's running four or five out, spread, pick, and roll. Uh, You're either going to have a center who's going to pop back to the three-point line and give you a five-out look or someone who's going to crash the basket, try to catch a lob. So Butler was really good at doing that when the Bulls had him. He was probably a top 15 player in the league. The Bulls couldn't build a good team around him. They trade him because they thought, well, this guy's not going to be good enough to be the best player on a championship team. So we want to, you know, be bad for a few years and try to find our next focal point through the draft. Well, if they would have got Luka Doncic, this would have worked out. The Butler trade would have looked great. If they would have got Zion, I think the Butler trade would have looked great. If they would have got the second best player in the o- in the 18 draft, which at this point looks like Trey Young, uh, you know, maybe we're feeling a little bit better about this rebuild. But instead, they were still, you know, only they only got up to the seventh pick. Uh, each of the first two drafts after the Butler trade this year, dude, right now they're about the seventh worst team in the league. So this cycle is continuing to repeat itself. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think this goes back to Boylan too, because Boylan has just offered no tactical change or no solution for the Bulls problems this entire year. I think Boylan's the worst coach in the NBA. The way he talks after each of these losses drives me insane. He basically had a big dumb smile on his face after this heat game, talking about how it was a moral win. The first thing he notes is that we won the first quarter. That's what we wanted to come out and do. This is a tough place in Miami. Tough place to play. We wanted to win the first quarter. Dude, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, this team sucks. You're doing the same thing on both ends of the ball over and over again. We've never seen him utilize Wendell Carter as a passer when he was a prospect who had a really good reputation as a playmaker coming out of Duke. We've consistently seen him run the same tired shit in crunch time for Levine where uh, he's just going to go isolation or try to run a high pick and roll, and he's not a good enough decision maker when defenses are keying in on him to succeed in those situations. Uh, Boylan has no idea how to fix this problem, and to me, here's the really insane thing. If you're Paxson and Foreman, you know that the fire Garpax movement has totally gone mainstream at this point. I think the majority of the fan base is in agreement that, you know, Pax and Informant should be fired. They're not going to get fired because Reinsdorf personally likes both of them, is incredibly loyal to a fault as an owner. Uh, but You know what I read the other day that made me sad? I mean, there's a lot of things, but here's one for you. It was a Frank Isola article on uh, The Athletic, and the the tenor of it was that the Knicks have fired David Fisdale, but guess what? Steve Mills is finally on the hot seat with the owner, and I got jealous. 
I got jealous of the Knicks, Ricky. Yeah, they fired their shitty coach, and they might fire their shitty front office. That's what the Bulls should be doing. But instead, they continue to hang on to Boylan for the entire year. They're not going to fire Boylan this year. I would be really surprised. I don't want go, them to. Unless I they, don't want them to. Unless they go on a prolonged losing streak. But here's the thing. If you're Paxson, and Boylan's your guy, Boylan's the dude that you handpicked, John Paxson, to be a reflection of yourself to coach the team. It was clearly Gar's hire for Hoiberg, right? So I think that right. Paxson wanted to come back and be like, I'm putting my guy in charge, a tough-nosed yep. guy. But yep. if Boylan is so shitty... Doesn't Paxson owe it to himself to see what this core looks like with a sharper coach? Because, listen, if the Bulls continue to be one of the worst teams in the league again, we're talking about how Markinen and Levine's value league-wide has plummeted. Don't you owe those guys, and don't you owe yourself and your evaluations of them as franchise players to see what it looks like with a different coach? Riddle me this, dude. All right, so remember Being John Malkovich, the movie with a little, like, the little room in between and if you went in it you'd take control of john malkovich i haven't seen it but i want you to continue going with this you get the cultural reference i'm sure yeah, which is of course. that there was a little room if you went in there you took control of john malkovich the person in real life it's an incredible film i recommend it so being jim boylan you just you've walked into a room all of a sudden you are in control of jim boylan what are the tactical changes you're going to make to squeeze wins out of this team? Yeah, well, I think I just said one of them, which is I'm not going to let Levine play on the ball anymore. Levine so dribbles who, way too much. So then who much. takes over the ball? Who's who's on the ball? Okay, so what they're going to do is they're going to, first of all, run more of the offense through Wendell Carter Jr. as a passer out of the high post. The Bulls have seen this work in the past when they did it with Joe Kim Noah, and I believe that was the 2014 season, the year they had DJ Augustine. They ended up losing to the Wizards in the first round that year. But during that regular season, and the Bulls were pretty surprising uh, because Noah was a terrific playmaker at the top of the key, really skilled passer. He was the one who was getting the offense going. I would love to see them utilize Carter in a similar way. I think totally. right now they're using Carter like he's DeAndre Jordan, like he's like a big hulking alley-oop catching center, which is not his game at all. The reason he got drafted number seven overall, despite the fact that he's only a six foot nine center and he's not super explosive athletically, is because he was a good shooter and a good passer. And those are two things out of Carter's game we have not seen this year at all the coaching totally. staff has totally ruined his confidence as a shooter he doesn't even look at the basket even if he's being left wide open and as a passer i think he's averaging under one assist a game without having the numbers right in front of me he really has not made an impact as a passer at all and it's because of how he's being used he's being used like nerland's noel or deandre jordan in the dunker spot instead of as a high post facilitator that's the first change i'm going to make the second mm-hmm. change i'm going to make is running more pick and roll through marketing we saw marketing and Robin Lopez run some four or five pick and roll back in the day where Lowry could actually put the ball on the floor a couple times and get to the hole. Lowry low key has been a lot better in December. And this is something I wanted to bring up to you. You look at his November numbers uh, in their loading on the page right now, but Markinen's November numbers were absolutely miserable. He averaged 11.9 points per game on 33% shooting from the field, 31% shooting from three. He averaged 0.5 assists. 0.8 blocks. I mean, he was miserable, Zach. Uh, Six rebounds in November. So here's what he's doing in December so far. These stats don't include the Miami game. And today he had 22 points, 4 of 10 shooting from 3. So 40% again, 8 of 15 shooting from the field with 7 boards. Markkinen was really good today. He's been good the whole month. He entered the game averaging 18 
points in the month with 50% shooting from the field, 44% shooting from three. So Markkanen's starting to get it going a little bit now. That's the point of this. He's been better in December. He was terrible in November. I'm going to put the ball in his hands a little bit more if I'm taking it out of Zach's. I'm going to let him run some high pick and roll with Carter and actually see what he could do putting the ball on the floor going downhill a couple times. And then Zach, I'm going to run him off a maze of screens. And he's still going to get the ball a lot. But the first option of the offense is not going to be Zach dribbles the ball between his legs for eight seconds and takes a step back three that's going to miss by two feet. Instead, you're going to run your half-court offense with Levine as your primary offensive option, but as your primary offensive option off the ball, similar to how the Warriors use Klay Thompson. I mean, we've seen Klay Thompson have a 60-point game where dribbling like 11 times, right? And it's because, well, he plays with uh, other superstars who defenses have to be keyed on, of course, but also because they just get him the ball in advantage situations where he can put his shooting touch and his ability to get to the basket to his advantage. And I don't think the Bulls have ever done that with Levine by trying to make him a high pick and roll an isolation player. Uh, so and th- in, those in this situation, is it do. in this situation? Is it Sato that's running the pick and roll with marketing? Uh, like who, who is the initiator? Yeah. I think that you're just going to go to more of a team wide egalitarian offense where I want Carter passing more. I do want Sadoransky to be more aggressive. I think you could let Kobe do it during Kobe's minutes. He's not going to play 35 minutes for you most games but when he's in he's really been the sixth or seventh man for most of the year I think that he can take up some of that offensive opportunity and I would let Markinen try his hand at playmaking a little bit more at least you know give him the reps to see if he's up for it because at this point like if they just keep running the same shit all year it's definitely going to lead to no development and no more wins. Like, they're not going to seriously challenge for a playoff spot, in my opinion, despite how low the bar is in the East with the eighth seed, if they continue running this. So I would go to a more egalitarian offense. I would try to use Zach off the ball more, and I would run it a little bit more through Sadoransky and Carter. So here's my take. Uh, I was really interested in this multi-ball handler, you know, more like you said, egalitarian approach coming into the season as a really innovative, creative idea that, um, you know, was fostered upon the team because of the personnel. But I thought it was a really thoughtful solution, and I was excited to see how it plays. After 20 games, I'm totally ready to shit can it. And furthermore, I'm ready to say that it's not something that works in the modern NBA. I do think you need to have a pecking order of sorts. And so there are certainly teams that distribute shots in a very even-handed manner you can look at a denver nuggets for an example of that sort of thing but everybody has a specific role in specific places on the floor to get those shots everybody kind of takes their turn in a way that makes sense that's not what's going on here you have extremely high usage players levine to a lesser extent marketing kobe white loves to get his shots up so the the flow and the distribution i don't know man there's just there's nobody that's kind of able to say all right, we need to go to this guy for a little bit. It's not egalitarian. It's it's predicated on being that by anybody can bring it up the floor, move it, we're going to get fast break points. But at the end of the day, like the NBA is about what are you going to be able to do in a late crunch time possession? And I'm sorry, man, like the Bulls offense is a Zach Levine ISO. That's that's, you know, top of the lottery. That who can win in the NBA with that? Yeah, and the multiple ball handlers offense was always just spin for saying that They didn't want Dunn and Levine, either of them, to feel like they weren't going to get opportunities to be the guy. I think when Dunn and Levine 
played together as the starting backcourt. You know, at that point, Dunn's reputation was a lot higher. Dunn was a top-five pick. I think the Bulls had high hopes for Dunn to definitely be the point guard of the future, but they knew that both him and Levine were guys who, first of all, weren't great passers. You want to talk about the Denver Nuggets. They have the best passing center of all time in Nikola Jokic. They just have a lot of high-level passers on that roster. The Bulls do not have any good passers. They have guys who like looking for their own offense with Dunn and Levine. Uh, So you call it the multiple ball handler offense just so that one of those guys doesn't think he's going to be playing like James Harden. Both of them are going to have opportunities to be the guy. I'll tell you when a multiple ball handler offense works, Zach. It's when you have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Lou Williams. When you actually have guys who are capable of doing it, the Bulls don't have anyone capable of doing it. The burden falls on Levine. Levine's not good enough. And because of that, you're now ruining Levine's value as a player who still has a lot of talent. I think that, you know, I'm not totally writing off Levine as a guy who needs to be traded because I think he has shot-making capabilities that would really be beneficial in important situations in playoff games uh, when the tempo slows down and sometimes you just need someone to hit a tough shot in the half court. I think Levine could be good there. The problem with Levine is that he's just given too much freedom in this offense, and he really needs to be restrained. And even if you were to get someone like Chris Paul, that would be a short-term solution, not a long-term fix. At the end of the day, I think the Bulls need to try to be bold with their uh, with their roster at the end of this year and just think, you know, we don't want to give Markkanen $90 million and now be locked into a Levine Markkanen core that we know isn't going to win a shit. So... I think the Bulls need bold, creative planning uh, coming into this offseason, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if Paxson gets Kenny Williams to where he gets moved up in the organization, Mm -hmm. but he's no longer the central decision maker, Uh, whether that's, you know, Michael Reinsdorf's call or whether it's a mutual decision with Paxson. I could actually see something like like that coming because, uh, to me, this was the year when we were going to see if Paxson's rebuild post-Jimmy Butler had any teeth. And, dude, this rebuild has no fucking teeth. It's completely teethless. The Bulls are trash once again. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you were to parcel out, you know, let's say a front office and the different things they need to do successfully, the Bulls, and I've said this for a long time, they draft and develop very well. Like, that's just my opinion. You might not share it. uh, But, like, they identify players of a certain ilk, you know, in the the Garpax era, which is it used to be four-year college players, but – very solid, hardworking, um, care about basketball guys. And uh, while I appreciate that aspect of how they want to build a team and their ability, you know, they've shown it a couple different times here to acquire multiple draft assets and slowly build a team up, their inability to have any sort of innovation or creativity when it comes to the trade market, when it comes to foreseeing how you could change your roster and give up pieces of yourself and gain others and really make significant changes. It's such a blind spot for this team that there's no fast path to fixing it. The only way this team will ever succeed is if the guys they identify and draft and develop do those things. And when you're in a place like they are now, there is no pivot. There is no opportunity to say, well, you know what? Hasn't gone the way we planned. That does happen. Like all best practices, best thoughts. It just isn't looking like an effective mix at this point. So what is the one move or what are the two moves we can do? What are the chess pieces we can slide across the table to salvage the guys on this team that we do feel good about going forward? And I think at this point, it's Wendell Carter Jr. It's Kobe White. I'm, I really 
you, you know, you might argue different. I really like Chris Dunn and what he's become this year, how he's rebounded from not being a, a, an alpha point guard and being this kind of hybrid sixth man bulldog on defense and finding a little more confidence in his offense the last week or two. I really, really hope the Bulls keep him in the fold. And I think depending upon how the rest of this year goes, you might be able to get him at a decent rate. What do you think? Chris Dunn's Alfred Payton. Alfred Payton was a free agent last year. He signed a two-year, $16 million contract. He's basically a backup point guard. That's what Chris Dunn is. He could be your sixth or seventh man, and certainly those are important spots in the rotation. Uh, but to me, like that's probably the type of contract he's looking at, similar to Alfred Payton, $8 million a year. Uh, I do think Chris Dunn has been one of the feel-good stories of the season. Obviously, it's a low bar for this season because there's been a lot to feel bad about. Uh, but Dunn has been a bright spot in a lot of ways, and he really played one of his best games of the season on Sunday against the Heat. He had a season high with 16 points. His defense was tremendous on Jimmy Butler down the stretch. He was a reason that Butler was, you know, kicking out to teammates and not taking over himself as a late-game scorer. So I do like Chris Dunn. I think that, you know, it's it's good. To, it's fine to keep him if you want to, but what you really have to think about is, like, what is the next team you're going to build that can actually contend look like? And how can you make that happen? So to me, I know that you have mentioned trading Levine. I would actually trade Markinen. I think that Levine wow. has more uh, useful NBA skills and less trade value. And I think wow. Markinen probably has the most trade value of anyone on the team still, even though he's been bad. And I think that it's highly possible he could get hot, uh, you know, for one of these months. Like we saw him in February last year when he was absolutely brilliant. He's having right. a really good December right now. And I would be really worried about locking in the Levine marketing core. And I just think that marketing you could get more assets for. Uh, I don't know what a trade return ideally looks like for him, but I'm thinking at least a first-round pick and another young player who you could try to salvage from a bad situation. Uh, I think that he would get you the best return, and I think that what the Bulls probably need more than anything else right now is just assets because continuing to just like hammer this thing home and hoping it'll magically fix itself, it's not going to fucking happen. Even if they fire Jim Boylan and hire a real coach, it's likely not going to happen. Uh, so to me, I would be very open to trading Markinen, and I would also be mm. open to trading Kobe because I think that really Kobe is going to have high trade value for a couple different reasons. First of all, he has the pedigree. He was a top 10 pick. He's got the youth. He's only 19 years old. He has positional height at 6'5 for a point guard, and he's got three-point shooting ability. He also has yeah. speed. Uh, but I don't really think a Levine-White backcourt is tenable. And then if I'm thinking about how I want to build the roster around Kobe White is my centerpiece long-term. Is he a point guard? Is he a two-guard? What type of guard do you need next to him in the backcourt to actually make high-functioning offense? I think he's going to have high trade value and i think if you could package him and Markinen together i would probably try to flip those guys if there is ideally a disgruntled star i don't really see one of those guys on the market right now you know you wish it was bradley beal he's been amazing for the wizards this year they locked him up to a long-term contract even if bradley beal comes in here he's not going to save the bulls but you know you need a sort of a top 20 player a player who can be your new frontline star or you need assets so i would probably try to look for assets uh, you know, the 2021 draft to me looks pretty good. The 2022 draft might be your double draft. These are really depressing conversations to have. 
but I don't think the Bulls are going to succeed just running this thing back. And you know, if the Bulls wanted to be competitive, they could have just signed Butler long-term if Butler would have taken their money and tried to keep building a team around him. They didn't do that. They chose to be one of the worst teams in the league and to try to rebuild through the draft. Well, these draft picks that they've taken, these guys, they haven't developed at you know the rate we would like to see it happen. And now it just feels like a vicious cycle of just losing after losing after losing. The culture of the team is horrible. The coaching's bad. None of the young players are developing. So I would make a bold move in the offseason. Uh, and to me, you know, Markinen is a guy who probably has the most trade value. Have you been drinking? No, like, I actually I, haven't been drinking. Oh, that's why you seem so weird. All right, I, look, sure, you could flip Markkinen, and sure, you could flip Kobe White. I think that's a huge mistake. I think that Laurie Markkinen is so much better than what he's able to show right now because he has no one. Think of him like a a, a, a machine gun. Somebody has to point it. Somebody has to load it. Somebody has to put it in a place to succeed, to shoot. And right now, he doesn't have that, and that's just not part of his skill set. So he's sitting there. Everybody's wondering why he's not able to succeed. He needs help. Kobe White, you know, dude, that is a better Ben Gordon. He's going to learn to be better down the line. He shows little flashes of having passing vision. Obviously, he's a shoot-first guy. He does go head down more often than not. But he's a modern NBA player, like you said, with size. What could you possibly get back that would make that worth it? Zach Levine still has trade value. And especially right now when he's a high-usage player, you're going to have a team out there, probably named Sacramento, that still believes in this guy. I, you know, if I'm the Bulls, I have a daily phone call with Vladi Divac. They signed the offer sheet for Zach Levine. We know, out loud, we know that they like Zach Levine. And they have a bunch of pieces on their roster that would be interesting coming back. So I think Zach Levine, not because he's not a good dude, not because he's not a skilled player, is actively regressing the rest of the players on the roster. I do wonder if he were to sit out a few games where the shots would go and how the Bulls would play. Because right now, it seems like when he gets the ball, everybody else stands still. I have one move for you that would have changed the tenor of this season. Are you ready for it? I want to hear it, yeah. Don't get Sato. Do get Ricky Rubio. Totally different team. Yeah, and I got one for you I'm going to throw at you. The money they gave Thad Young and Sato could have just gone to Malcolm Brogdon. And Brogdon has had a borderline all-star year this year for the Pacers. He's been really, really good in a totally different role that he was in in Milwaukee. And I was not in favor of signing Brogdon at the time. I thought that Brogdon, next to Giannis, that that was like the best system for him because I didn't see him being like a high-level point guard who was going to facilitate totally. everything. I thought he was mostly just a 3 and D point guard. Well, I don't think those those acquisitions have blown up in their face necessarily. Thad is a really quality player. I think he has significant trade value down the line as well, given his contract. Like, uh, given the injuries in Portland and how desperate they are to win, don't you think you could kind of point to them and say, hey, Thad Young, what's that worth to you? They have good young players. They have draft assets. They have a lot of things they could flip over there. That's an interesting phone call for me, and I think 
when you have an opportunity to bring in a Thad Young, who's an incredible locker room influence, who's a solid NBA player, and has on a contract that's movable in the way that it is. Same thing with Sadoransky. And I, I'm really disappointed in his play so far this year. I think he's extremely talented. I hate how often he gives up the ball. I hate how reluctant he is to control the offense. But that seems to be who the player is. Nevertheless, he's got a two-year deal and a third third year unguaranteed at $10 million a year. And you you can't tell me there aren't teams out there that'd be willing to give up something for them. So that flexibility, and I know that's a very poisonous word in Chicago, roster flexibility, positional flexibility, all the flexibility. I get it. But I do think that the Bulls are in a good position. The problem is I just don't think they have the innovative, creative uh, thought process when it comes to trading to use those guys to get to the next step. And I'm looking right now at just like the assist leaders in the NBA, which couldn't be a simpler stat. You know, uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. None of like almost none of the top assist guys are going to become available. It's LeBron, it's Doncic, it's uh, Ben Simmons, it's Trey Young. The guys who are interesting that have popped up, Malcolm Brogdon that you said, Devontae Graham, who my boy, I'm a Kansas alum, so I love to see him succeeding in that way. Well, one thing's for sure, Zach, uh, the preseason optimism we had for the Bulls this year is just totally dissipated. And uh, I I would love to see a team that gets hot in December. I'd love to see a team that can give us a month like they did in February where maybe we could uh, be thinking that perhaps if some things fall into place, the Bulls can still salvage this reiteration of the rebuild. But right now, man, I'm a lot of doom and gloom because I just you haven't are. seen the progress <laughs> on the roster. And, you know, I think that sometimes not making a bold move is the worst thing you can do. You're still at a pretty critical point of the rebuild in year three. You wanted to see these guys develop. You know, you could perhaps keep everyone around and hopefully they eventually grow into a usable core. But Man, I uh, I don't have a lot of optimism in that right now. I think that, you know, Boylan is certainly a major culprit for why the team has been so terrible this year. I do think the Bulls owe it to themselves to get another head coach in there and to see what uh, this reiteration of the rebuild looks like without Boylan as the head coach. But it's just hard for me to have any positive feelings about the state of the team right now after such a disappointing start when, you know, even someone like me who's been so critical of the front office the last few years, I had a lot of hope coming into this season too. I really thought that they would make major progress and it just hasn't happened. Let me give you a little bit of hope. Let me give your listeners a little bit of hope because here's what I foresee as a positive path forward for the rest of this year and how to feel good about the Bulls. You ready? Yeah. The Bulls host the All-Star game. So just tilt the nose of this plane right into the earth. Let's have a shit December. Let's have a worse January. Let's be near the bottom of the Eastern Conference when Michael Reinsdorf has to sit at center court and say, fans, welcome to the United Center. Let's have that because what we have right now is a young owner who is going to have to be out and, and visible, and that's just starting to happen now. He always looks super uncomfortable. He's going to get booed. He's going to think it's about him. And this will be the off season that he finally makes a move as, as it pertains to trades and things like that. Uh, just be sitting next to the phone, waiting for somebody to call when it comes to the trade trade market. But in the off season, new front office, a top draft pick because the bulls aren't going to be good. It'll probably be the seventh is we just seem cursed to have the seventh pick in, in eternity for eternity. But uh, then you've got assets. You have a known draft pick. You have all these guys who de de developed to the point that they have. And you'll have a new GM that's able to kind of 
you know, objectively look at all of these pieces and figure out how they can make quick moves to accelerate the learning curve for everybody that's still going to be left. So that's my positive take, which is let's suck. Let's do it. Let's continue to do it. Let's let Boylan blitz everything and make guys who don't know how to play defense scramble every single play. Let's have Zach Levine 40 usage rate in the forties. What the hell? Why not shoot everything as a three let's go and let's push through this year and get through the Gar Packs era so that we can move on to what's next. That's the only thing that's left to hope for. I'm into it, man. Anything to get some new leadership for this franchise because I think that, you know, all their problems come back to poor management, poor ownership, poor leadership. And until those things change, it's going to be hard to be optimistic about the Bulls. Uh, I think that wraps it up for us, Zach. I want to thank you for joining us. Everyone be sure to check out Chicago Shuffle, the podcast Zach is hosting on the Bears this year. Big game for the Bears coming up against Green Bay a week from today. That's going to be really fun. Zach's been doing an amazing job with that podcast. Uh, his preview pods have been great during the week. His recaps have been really entertaining. There's no one better. So uh, make sure you're listening to that Bears podcast if you're a Chicagoan. Make sure you're keeping it locked to cash considerations as well. Uh, thanks again, Zach, for joining me. And uh, this has been Cash Considerations. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it.